Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price that you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. Right now they've got a Father's Day special 20% off with code DAD20. Again, huntworthgear.com. Shot tack uh, in their Durham pants all weekend, uh, 70s, 80s, uh, beautiful day. Uh, really like those pants. They have them in a uh, brown color that uh, just look like khakis uh, rather than, you know, camel pants and, and all that. Um, got back from TAC, and this weekend was amazing for everybody that came out to the cookout, all the Patreons, uh, everyone that we met out there. Um, thanks for all the support for coming out, and I uh, hope you had a great time. Uh, we had a tremendous time. So um, thanks to everybody. We're going to be doing a podcast here uh, coming up, uh, just a recap of TAC. Uh, but we'd recorded this one with Latitude prior to that, uh, hung out with their their guys, um, saw a bunch of the new stuff, um, real excited for, for what's coming out. Um, super fun. Uh, that podcast is going to be a fun one. Uh, today's podcast, just talking about, you know, uh, latitude speed series, uh, platforms. Um, you know, they came out with a two panel saddle when there really wasn't anything out yet. Um, then when you think that there's only one way to, to make a platform, uh, they come out with their X wing platform and we just kind of go through their thought process on, uh, coming up with new products, bringing things to market, risk, uh, all of that. Um, but before we get into the podcast, um, I got to thank the newest Patreons, uh, Carl Stortz. He's out of uh, Minnesota. Yeah, actually shot with him up at TAC. Um, he got uh, got in and shot with us. Uh, he was he was flying solo and ended up adding on to our uh, eight man group. And uh, it, it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, all the vulgar 
um, <laughs> things back and forth. I mean, if you've been following along with our Instagram, Instagram story, there was a theme where if, uh, if you didn't shoot him in the 12, um, there was another part of the anatomy. Uh, we'll leave this kid friendly for the intro, um, that we were aiming for. And, uh, right off the get, Carl says, uh, I like you guys. So, um, a uh, hell of a shooter too. Um, and so thanks, Carl. And then Quentin Dyson out of Texas. Um, you know, he emailed me and said, you know, thanks for everything you do on the show and really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll be getting some stuff out to you guys, but our, uh, that's our first guy, um, who was in Texas. I think Michael's, uh, down in Texas now. Um, but he was in Florida at the time when he signed up. So, um, first guy out of Texas. So, uh, those guys are going to be in for Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. It helps us to do things like the barbecue, to go up to TAC, to, you know, hand out stickers, to, you know, do the t-shirts, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, that all helps with that, you know, producing the show, everything that we do, uh, is kind of on the backs of the Patreons and, and we try to give back as much as we can, uh, bought a bow that we're giving away. Um, that gearhead, uh, it's a 70 pound gearhead we got from our friends at Bowhunter Planet. Saw them up at TAC and uh, Huntworth. You know, we we lean, we don't work with anybody that's not going to help us um, to give back uh, to 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 our patrons to the to the guys that that support the show. So um, Huntworth's giving away a set of the rain gear that I absolutely love, um, and one of their packs. I use their pack all weekend at TAC, and uh, it's it worked out really well for me. Lucky Buck, they you know the last podcast that we did, they give away a bucket of their uh, mineral ore. Uh, if you can't use it, uh, going to be uh, a set of seed. Um, the Spartan Forge, Spartan Forge, um, just I can't say it enough. Just a superior mapping product. I just love the maps, and that completely gets away from what it actually does um, using the artificial intelligence to predict deer movement and kind of tell you where you need to be on certain days based on, you know, all the data, uh, military-grade data. Uh, just incredible. They give away one of their subscriptions, yearly subscriptions. Uh, they give away one of those. Uh, zingers, those guys were up at TAC. I shot the Zingers. I actually shot their their new uh, 3.0 that's not even out yet, and uh, those performed really well. Um, really enjoyed those. And then, um, you know, if you go back a couple uh, couple weeks, a couple episodes, uh, Redline. So those guys are at Tack. Got to see Weston and, and some of those guys. And they're giving away a full setup of sight, stabilizers, um, and a quiver. And uh, that stuff performed flawlessly for me actually my site housing came loose and if you listen to that podcast me and john completely dissected that and put it back together uh, mostly john but uh needed some allen wrenches went over there those guys helped out uh tremendously one of our patrons their their dad uh didn't have a site that was working uh bought one of the redline sites right there they got it all set up for them and uh you know, just great, great guys and a quality product at a great price. And they're giving away one of those. Um, the Vitals Live, uh, you know, there's a couple of Vitals Live coming up. Jake Bush and Andy May um, the next two weeks. Um, free subscriptions to that. Our Marco Polo group. All these things. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. It's like 17 cents a day. You know, if you want to support the show, if you think we give you that much value, um, you know, Please, 
go over there, sign up. But if not, not a big deal. Tell someone about the show. Tell your buddies. Say, hey, you know, you wondered about those latitude sticks. Hey, you were wondering about that lucky buck mineral. Hey, you know, all any of that stuff. Um, you know, just just let them know that we're out here and we're listening. So if you guys have, have anything you want to hear about, um, we're we're starting to move into you know, the serious deer scouting, starting to get ready for, for deer season. Uh, I don't think any of us are headed out west. Uh, well, Frank and Ernie are, but uh, they're not necessarily as hardcore as we are. But, but yeah, so going to get uh, into the nitty-gritty of, uh, of deer season scouting, whitetails. So if you have some guests, reach out to us. Tell us what you want to hear from, who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about. And uh, we'll do our best to get that well, taken all care right. of. Uh, here we are with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. John is here. John texted me on his way over, and he said, I'm running a little late, and I'm a little drunk. And then he got here, and he said, I guess we're doing one with Latitude, so it's kind of fitting. Um, <laughs> the last time we saw you guys, um, I see Alex all the time, but uh, Jake and Kevin, the last time we saw them, uh, I think all of us were, at least uh, I was, sweating profusely. John didn't even make it to uh, the show. He, no. he was sleeping it off, and uh, it was a a show for the ages, we'll say. <laughs> um, but we're here with uh, all three, with a three-headed monster that is uh, Latitude Outdoors, uh, Kevin, Alex, and Jake. Um, how have you guys been doing? Good. You guys? Doing well. Thanks for having us. So, so Jake, I, I got the pleasure to hunt with uh, Jake and Alex last year, and I got to, you know, kind of get to know Jake a little bit more. And then seeing him um, and at setting up the booth and doing all the things um, at the show uh, when we were at the ATA show with them, um, I guess for this first year of show season and all of that, um, how did that go for you, Jake? Oh, it was a, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, lot, lots of work. Um, yeah, I, I kind of take on most of the uh, logistical aspects of, you know, show season. We didn't do as many shows, I think, as we wanted to this year. Uh, we got in just about as many as, as we could with the smaller crew we've got. But yeah, ATA, where we were at with you guys, I mean, that was probably our biggest that was our biggest showing, you know, most elaborate setup. John, you, you know, were a lifesaver when it came to putting up those walls. So, again, thank you very much for that. Uh, I apologize when you had to take them apart because you were probably like, where the hell are all these screws at? <laughs> yeah, there were, yeah, were, were a couple of buried, pretty deep but everything was squared up, you know, really good when it needed to be, so. But yeah, then we did, uh, after that, we did, uh, Phoenix. We would, went down to, uh, Sports Inc., which that was, we were lucky to get into that at the last minute, but that was again, another logistical challenge, flying stuff, you know, most of the way across the country for the setup. Jake, you breezed over that you custom built the whole booth for ATA. <laughs> yeah. Like we, two we weeks leading built. up to the show. Yeah, we custom built everything. I had uh, the whole crew, my brother, family, friends enlisted, cutting wood, putting up trim, painting, you know, and we didn't even, everything was on paper. We 
you know, measured everything out. And first time it all went together was on the show floor. So at ATA, so, uh, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty rewarding when we, we had it all said and done. So that was, <clears throat> that was nice. So for, no serious problems for, for people that are listening. Um, maybe I'll let you speak on this one, Kevin. Uh, so for the three of you, what are the roles, like your primary roles in the, in the company? I think I want your opinion. You want my opinion, <laughs> huh? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously with any small company and we're still a very small company, um, you know, we're coming up on our two year anniversary here at the end of uh, June, beginning of July timeframe. So, um, Everyone wears a lot of hats at any given point in time. Jake and myself are definitely more focused on product development. Product delivery is kind of how we look at it, which encompasses a lot of things with supply chain and, and making sure that stuff's available for our customers. And, you know, Alex kind of more plays in the product vision. Um, you know, he looks at things from the customer's lens 100% of the time, not that Jake and I don't. Um, but Alex really represents the voice of the customer within the, within the company. So, and that comprises a lot of different things, right? The messaging around our products, kind of the final look and feel polishing it when we bring it to market. Um, he provides Jake and I with a lot of feedback, um, in that realm, and then we kind of go and execute on it. So, um, that's kind of how we look at it and how it lays out. Um, Jake and I kind of tag team a lot of stuff. Um, a lot of the operational things we've kind of tag team. Jake is starting to take a larger role on that aspect um, as this thing matures. So that's kind of how it lays out, or at least the way I see it. Hopefully <laughs> these guys agree. <laughs> I mean, the reality is right. I mean, we spend 90% of our time thinking about product largely because that's what we really enjoy is the product. If we could do product all all day, every day, that's what we would do because that's what we want to be doing. But unfortunately, there's all these other, there's all this other noise, right? All this other stuff you got to take care of to get something out the door. Um, but I, I think in reality, all three of us are so different that if, if all three of us weren't here touching the product at some point, it just... It, it would never be what it what it is or what you see when it goes out the door. So, you know, I it's a, we got a unique group here, and it causes issues sometimes because we have some 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 brawls at the warehouse, right? But um, it's for the best, really. So, when you talk about product, I want to get into product design, like thought process, um, all of that. But I think first and foremost, um, just simply because I know that it's you know, from, from a listener standpoint, um, you know, uh, a, a talking head, uh, guy trying to sell a product or whatever, like, I mean, ultimately you guys have a product to sell. Um, and I want to get into the design and all of that, but from that two years, so, you know, you launch a company, you know, coming up on two years, whatever. Um, one of the questions that we get and one of the things that we've, um, talk to a lot of guys where it it isn't all that it's cracked up to be is like as hunters how has this whole endeavor affected your your hunting your hunting season the time that you're allotted you know you guys have uh, all in that time frame I, I don't know about Jake but he he feels the brunt of it have budding families and you know now you've got 
you know, more miles to feed and less sleep and all, all of that sort of thing. So, so time is a, at a premium. And so where does the, the hunting and being in the woods and, and all of that, you know, how is that factored into this journey for you guys? And it, whoever wants to start is fine. Um, I guess I can start. I mean, I think, you know, these guys will tell you, I mean, I preach that all the time, like, we got to be in the woods. And first of all, it's a great excuse for our wives. Uh, but also, um, you know, like we, at least me personally, and these guys would agree. I mean, we don't feel comfortable trying to sell something that we wouldn't use and buy ourselves. And so in order to do that, we got to be using the product. Right. So um, now what you said about having the time to be in the woods and actually enjoy a hunt, right. Just, go on a leisure hunt where we're not sitting up there kind of um, either, you know, like analyzing how something's working or trying to come up with a solution for something. Yeah. I mean, most of the time we're out there actively doing something for work. Right. But um, at least for me personally, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's, it's motivating. I, I like it. I like being out there having something to think about. So I don't know if you guys want to chime in. Yeah. I mean, we get out a decent amount. We don't get out more because we're, we have a hunting company, I would say. And, and, you know, up until just recently, um, you know, more than one of us has been doing this with a day job each of the last couple of falls, right? We all had our other day jobs, our first fall in existence. So um, I didn't hardly hunt at all. I actually started a new job for my day job on October 1st, our first in 2020, uh, the year we started the company. So for you know, new job that aligned right with the archery opener and we had a new company kind of on the side that we we're keeping a secret from our day job. So um, we, we certainly get out and um, a lot of that, you know, is not necessarily getting out at the ideal times, but we, we force ourselves to get out uh, to test things um, when it's not ideal, but it's always fun to be out. So I'd say we still probably get out about the same um, as the average guy, maybe just a touch more, but um, that's kind of how it ends up going usually. Yeah, I'll say uh, to Kevin's point, up until this past fall, we, you know, I was working a day job and I, I traveled a lot for work. So the six years prior to starting this, I, got to hunt like two serious weekends in the season and that was it. So I think we definitely, I've definitely tried to get out more, you know, after we started this last season hunted more than I had in years. Um, but like what Alex said, I mean, it, it definitely has brought a lot a lot more angles to what we're doing out there, you know, instead of just going out there to relax or it's your vacation, you know, there's a whole new intensity to it. You know, we're always thinking about how can we tweak this? How can we make an improvement here? You know, what are the problems um, that I have in a system that is pretty efficient when you practice something over and over again you get good at it so sometimes it becomes hard to think out of the box and and try something new that you know might slow you down in in the uh, short term but be better for you 
moving forward as you progress as a hunter. So yeah, I think, and then the whole idea of bringing cameras into the woods with us now, every, everywhere we're going. I mean, that this was the first year I've ever tried to self film. I wasn't really the type of person that was super interested in that. <laughs> so that brought a whole new uh, level of <clears throat> challenge to it as well. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to talk about and like for for John, you know, I have this like inner struggle. I mean, we had, you know, 10 15 minutes of conversation prior to this about all of the terribly unsafe and crazy things we did. It turns out before Alex was even born um, <laughs> in the woods and hunting. And I, I, I can't like reiterate it to people enough. Like when, when I talk to them in like person, like when they, they want to know about the podcast or they want to know like what we do or whatever. And it's like, we have been doing this for so long and it's just like who we are that there's that like, the balance of like losing somewhat of like a purity type aspect of it, like, because you're supposed to have content. So like, we're supposed, you know, you're out there and you're like, Oh, we should have videoed that or we should do this or like whatever. So like John, like from your perspective and being like, you know, almost 50 years old and for, for the, you know, 38 years or whatever you've been doing this. So when I started, I would have had to have a camera like that was bigger than me, you know, like the old VHS and all that. And then, I definitely would have needed the Muddy Pro camera arm if they had such a thing back then just to hold the thing. But, but no, like, from, I mean, you know, growing up hunting the way I did, you know, I didn't even think, it was just getting out there with my dad in the, you know, in the beginning, and then it was with my friends and stuff. And then we started doing this, the camera, you know, like, like, all right, I'll, I'll start filming. So that was like, and the filming actually like screwed up a couple of hunts for me. Cause it was like, man, you know, I, I gotta get this on film. Oh shit. I forgot the, you know, I don't know how many times I screwed up, like forgot the base to the, there's actually a picture, I think way back where I actually took my bow rope and tied the camera to the, you know, the camera arm. And cause I forgot the base. And, but then this, this last year, you know, my time has been really limited this last year. So I actually, you know, like, I'm, all right, I'm just going to put the camera gear away and I didn't bring it out and just got back to my roots. And for me, that was a good thing. But now, like hopefully this year, it's, it's kind of been an incentive to like, like turkey hunting. I actually, the one day I got to go, I'm like, I brought my wife out who does not hunt. She is like, will not eat any wild game. But I actually talked her into going out turkey hunting and she filmed for me and she did great. But, and then I had the tactic cams going and everything. So that got kind of got the uh, juices you know, flowing. The juices flowing. I'm like, you know what? I'm definitely going to get back into the camera thing again. But with the, at first, you know, like when we, you know, we were hunting out of the old stands and stuff. And then when we got into the saddles, that was like, man, how the hell are we going to? film with saddles and actually like with the right camera arm and stuff i think it's a hundred times easier especially you know like with the gear we got from you guys i love my my method too when i get the hunt out of it but uh <laughs> I, i'm definitely excited about 
you know, doing the filming thing and getting the content out. But kind of back to your question, like sometimes it was like, I, I did get to the point where I need to get some, I need to, I need to go out and kill something or I need to get some footage. Well, I don't even think it's like kills on film. It's like, I feel like it takes away from something like when you go out there and it's like, you feel like you have to take a picture or show someone that you were, you got to do the, the tree stand selfie. You got to do this and that. And again, it's like, or the, it would be the, like every day of our lives. Like you, you're like, John, John's, we're getting ready for the total archery challenge, right? So we're, we're going up there. John's like, well, I went home and I set my bow up on lunch. It's like, screw it. I'm not eating. This is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go shoot my bow. But it's like, we're not taking pictures of that and like, like, oh yeah, I had to fling some for tack today. You know, like it's not. (laughs) Yeah. I could have set the cameras up and like, this is my lunch break. You know, no, I was just focused on getting, you know, like I said, time's limited. So I was like, I need to fling some arrows. So like from that perspective, like, cause I was there in Wisconsin and Jake's like, I hate this fucking camera and blah, blah, blah. Like you guys, you guys are hunting essentially the same property with all these deer on it. And it was like, they were just running between you. And I'm like, dude, if you guys could just hunt together and one of you run the camera, we need more content. We need two sets of content. We need more stuff. And it's like, you motherfuckers would have killed something if you just hunted together. Nobody wants to be the camera guy. That's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. I mean, somebody's got to kill something and tag out first <laughs> on our team. But until we can, you know, recruit some people that want to help with that. But I mean, that goes back to we're not hunting every day. Like, like you know, I right. guess the people that are good at getting the content and 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 the kills on video and and all of the above that we've mentioned. Um, so when we have the opportunity to get out, we want to be hunting, not filming. Right. So it is a challenge. I mean, the the hard part is like you know. Since since we're, you know, we tell you guys we're developing all these products, right? And we're passionate about trying them, doing all this stuff. You know, we, we feel it's important to actually show that we're doing these things, right? Because we are actually no different than anyone out there. We are living that. <laughs> this is what we love to do. And that's what we're doing during the season. You know, I think there's a lot of companies out there that that aren't doing what they're saying they're doing, not in the saddle world or even the hunting world, right? Just in general. And um, for us, it's important that we show you guys. So you, you, you trust us, right? Um, so that's one of the reasons that we feel it's important to, to film what we're doing out there. And it's also educational, right? I mean, most of what I know about hunting has come from other people. And if it wasn't for those people sharing what they're doing out there, I wouldn't have had near the, the awesome experiences I've had on it. So, you know, at least for me personally, I feel a little, um, I guess, I feel like I need to, you know, pitch in a little bit. Um, and I, li- I like the film and stuff. It's cool because you can tell stories. My dad never goes in the woods anymore and I can show him this deer coming in. Right. And he hasn't seen that in 25 years. So I don't know. It's fun for me. It's not it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the whole filming aspect of it, it's great to, to have the content just for yourself, not even for any other reason, just to be able to, you know, replay the experiences in your mind and, you know, see that. I will say, like, the challenging thing for me getting into it, you know, 
you know, wasn't taking the extra gear, extra setup time and stuff to mess with. It's, it was mainly about the, uh, like, I just can't in my mind justify like compromising a shot or a shot opportunity, wounding an animal because I'm messing with that camera. So it was really important to me to kind of be really careful about, you know, where's that threshold? Like I've had, I had a couple times this year where I just had to dump the camera. Like I couldn't get the angle and make the shot at the same time. So, you know, we're going to miss it with the camera this time. And that's just the way it's going to, it's got to be. But that was the biggest, biggest, I guess, hang up for me with, with the, especially the self filming aspect of it. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the filming thing, the, the amount of footage that we have, and I hate that word. I, I hate this new era that we're in because it's not footage. There's no fucking tape. Like there's no feed of tape. It's not on film. There's no fucking film. I don't know how you would say that you captured it, but I just the uh, amount of gigabytes. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I but I, it's just one of those things when people are like, "Yeah, I'm out filming." I'm like, "What do you got? A fucking eight millimeter?" Like, no. What are you? And it's just a personal like John's anal about certain things. Like the English language is something that bothers me. Um, <laughs> it's redneck as I might be, but. For me, it's like the content, all of like the little, like the pretty photos of all of the shit that people do and they're fletching arrows and they're doing this stuff. And I don't know, that's the content like that, that type of stuff that like gets me It's like, cause we're doing it anyways, but it's like, should we be doing that? And so as a company, like, how do you look at the whole influencer game, right? Cause you guys... Un- obviously understand the marketing draw to uh, a pretty girl that's wearing no clothes and sitting only in your saddle or wearing your saddle as a two piece on the front. Um, I'd look at it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that. Photo scheduled, by the way. So, <laughs> well, I think Jake was wearing that when we were in Wisconsin. I think that's where we got the idea, but it was, <laughs> it was a couple of beers in uh, that was the after party. What the <laughs> but, uh, we're making applications for that. We sent them to Jake. And, but, but the thing is, is that you guys are, are coming at this from like a, a you know, you want to be in the woods. You're trying your product, not, uh, I, I guess I would hope that it isn't like just we need to get as many eyes on it as possible. However, like how do you balance that? Like when you're looking at people to, you know, represent your brand, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, um, we, we don't know how to balance that very well, honestly. I mean, we, you guys could probably tell we don't really have much of an influencer strategy and our, our reach suffers because of that. Um, and, I struggle personally with it just because you just, you reach out to some random influencer, right? You have no idea if they even align with what you're trying to do. Um, and whether that's the right or wrong outlook on this, you know, who who's representing our stuff is important to us. So I think it's something we have to figure out because the reality is, is content runs the world these days. I mean, content wins. You can have an inferior product, right? And if you have the content game down, you can you can beat a company with a really good product. Um, so 
something we're trying to figure out and balance. So I don't have a good answer for you, but. Well, I mean, I'm just. I, I, I think with anyone uh, that represents the Latitude Outdoors brand, right? Anytime a touch, a customer touches our brand, whether that's through an influencer or through us directly or through one of our retailers, you know, that person needs to, or that, that channel of our brand needs to provide that customer, that person some form of value, whether that's through the product, through education, how to use the product, education and how to become a better hunter. Um, it needs to, it needs to help that customer meet whatever their goals are, whether that's to kill a big buck or go out and have some fun or uh, reinvigorate, you know, their deer camp tradition with some friends. If saddles going out and getting a bunch of saddles does that for them. Great. Um, but I think every time someone touches our brand, uh, what, no matter where it's through, you know, that needs to be the experience that they have. So, um, as Alex mentioned, we're still trying to get better at, you know, aligning with the appropriate brand partners, um, whether it's an influencer or some, or someone else to, to just continue to get better at that. So I think it's like a lot of things, right. Then there's a lot of bad influencers, right. And they're just pushing things because they're getting free product or whatever it may be. That's kind of the world we live in. There's always going to be some, you know, some bad, bad apples, but, um, from my standpoint, you know, I think the the biggest influencers are doing that. Uh, the people with the biggest followings oftentimes are doing that most of the time. Um, you know, they're, they're providing their, um, their follower base uh, value in some form or fashion. It's just making sure that value aligns with our brand if we're going to work with someone. So, so from like that standpoint, like from a marketing standpoint, if you were looking at it and this is, uh, this is more for like my own, knowledge and like maybe for the listener, right? Like how does that work from a business standpoint? Like how, how are you vetting these people or like what from one of the words you said a lot was like values. Right. And so like John here, um, maybe is less on social media, less on like whatever. So how are you viewing influencers viewing like where are you taking your information from and how important is it like who who introduced you to it first well i mean i do i'm i'm on social media i just don't like posting stuff obviously or replying to anybody or or talking back or giving (laughs) any answers or talking to the patreons or doing any of that stuff yeah marco polo sorry guys uh i was on there once maybe twice um but no, no, I, I'm, I'm on social media. Like if you ask my wife, I'm on it all the time. Like, but I, I'm old school, almost 50 years old, like you were saying earlier. And so I get on there and I just, I mean, I've been around long enough that I know what I like. And so I'll look at stuff. I mean, there's certain guys I watch and, you know, if it's a product that looks good, you know, it can look good, but if it doesn't work the way, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm just spinning my wheels here, but I'm trying to think of, oh, so here's a product right now. I mean, I've always liked drop away rests. I've always liked the limb driven ones. And, you know, I shot the, the AE that was uh, John Dudley's knock on, you know, kind of you know, followed along with him and it was a great rest, 
but it kind of pulled me away. I, like Hamski was one of the rest that I've always like wanted to go to, but it was, you know, I ended up going with Dudley's great rest. And then, but the, one of the things with the, the Hamski was like, it was super heavy looking. And then started looking and Chris B, you know, big influencer. I mean, in the archery world and he's always been a Hamski guy. And then all of a sudden he went to, well, at Matthews and now all of a sudden he's shooting the, the QAD. And I was like, man, Chris is shooting it. I'm, I'm like, I need to shoot that rest, you know? And then I was like, no, I'm going like, then I Hamski come out with the Epsilon. So it goes along with the same low profile, uh, you know, the riser design with Matthew's bow. It doesn't have the, the dovetail mount, um, like the integrate, but I ended up, I was like, well, I'm going with, I'm not going to be influenced just because of Chris B. But so I ended up going with the, the Hamski and I absolutely love that rest. But long story short is like, I just kind of, I try to filter out the bullshit basically. I mean, I mean, not that the, I think I actually sent you a, te- a text about the rest. The, I think one thing about um, the QAD is like the micro adjust on it is super precise. Like click, 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 but it's still, it's a cable driven rest and I don't like cable driven. Um, the Epsilon is still a micro adjust, but it doesn't have, like if you loosen up the bolts just a little bit, there's a little, you know, it's still got the micro clicks, but it's not as precise. I mean, but I can't shoot good enough to, I mean, really make a difference with that. But, you know, I'm just weighing my option. When I'm looking at stuff, um, I'm just, you know, I guess I've had, I've been around the block. I've been around for a long time, so I, I weigh my shit. Well, and that's like the basis of my question for, for these guys is like from a marketing standpoint, like, do you just want, like, when we were at ATA, like everywhere we went was like, oh my God, there's Hannah Barron. And I'm like, who in the fuck is Hannah Barron? I'm having a, a conversation over here about bows. And they're like, oh, she's got a million followers. And I'm like, well, I'm not one of them. Like, I don't have any idea who that is. Doesn't even register with me. And so, like, there is, you know, obviously, um, John Dudley has influenced John and he's gone down that, that rabbit hole. But I think, on some level, and it, one of the things that, you know, Alex, uh, I was I was hoping that you would say, Kevin, is that he's the guy that's on all the videos. I've seen Kevin quite a bit lately. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't know where we were with Alex. And they're like, oh, I've seen your face a bunch, <laughs> you know. And But I think it's just like when you see things and you hear about it over and over and over again, and, and maybe that's the draw to – you know, someone with a million followers is that as long as they're posting your 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 stuff, you see it, and then it kind of gets ingrained, and that you need to, uh, you think that you need to have it, or is it somebody who you listen to, like like John, like a wise old man who says, "I've been around the block and I've tried all of these things," and you know, it, it's such a it's such a crazy thing. So for like the listener. Like how do you, how does a company, 
uh, that you like, like your guys in an industry like this, that's super like ridiculously competitive. And, and I want to get into like, when we get into products, like, I don't want to say that it's like cutthroat because I think like all of the companies have like, for the most part, a mutual respect, but it's almost like the consumers are like the goddamn devil when it comes to well, it's like, like Chevy and Ford guys, like you get with a brand and then you're going to stick with it and defend it and whether it's better or not, like, yeah, I got this Ford that keeps fucking breaking down, but I'm, I'm a Ford guy. So like over the last two years, like how have you guys chosen to, or are working through like navigating that side of it? I mean, I think, you know, I truly, I, I genuinely believe that people buy from people, right? I mean, you have to trust who you're buying from. Um, and from a, from the company perspective with influencers, really the only thing we have control over, right, is is that the influencer aligns with our values and what we're passionate about. So that's the first thing that I always look for in an influencer. And again, we don't have some robust influencer game, right? Um, but that is very important to me because I want, you know, when they are talking to somebody about our products, I want to make sure that it's like they're talking to me right? Or Kev or Jake. So that's important to me. Now, the other side of it is eyeballs matter and reach matters. So I think you have to have a balance between the two. You got to have the, um, you know, the people with a million followers so that people see your, your brand, but then they also have to have that person that they trust. Because if I see something, you know, I can't think of a good example, but if I see something every day, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily going to take that step to buy the product. It's it, it's going to take somebody that I trust to to tell me to buy it. Um, you know, I use like Greg Litzinger, right? We work with him. He aligns with us perfectly. That guy gets up at, I, I don't know, I think he, maybe he doesn't even go to bed. I think he puts his kids to bed and then drives to the mountain and then starts walking. Um, but he's passionate as hell, right? He doesn't have a million followers. But we love him using our stuff. Because we know that when he talks to people, it's like they're talking to us. Um, you know, people like Dan Infault, right? If Dan told me to walk into a swamp because there's a big buck in there, I'd go. I'd go to that swamp. You know, um, so that um, authenticity is really what it comes down to for the influencer stuff with us, at least. You know, we got to get back. I think if, yeah, I think if they would use our stuff anyways with with no sort of partnership behind the scenes or whatever that's the type of relationship we want to have i mean another couple of great examples uh, this is a smaller youtube channel probably not a lot of people know about but split brow productions tyler wilk and matt campbell out of central michigan they helped us at the ata show they've been saddle hunting for 18 years and we just got together with them last summer and they just wanted to try our stuff they saw that we were local and and, you know, they were very happy with it. They use it all year and they just, they raved about it. So they wanted to come down and help for the show. And, you know, those are a couple of individuals that can provide a tremendous amount of value to someone that's new to saddle hunting. They've been doing it for 18 years. They've been doing it before it was popular. So, um, and, and they want to use our stuff just because they like it the best. So that's the kind of relationship that is authentic and that we look for. So, so uh, from that standpoint, we're going to shift into like the gear side, but like, when you talk about that and if you're looking for like influencers that align with you, you guys have – and you have – we talked about this earlier and we're going to talk about – you guys have some sticks coming out or whatever that 
you don't want anybody to know about, so we won't talk about them very much. But <laughs> you guys are, for the lack of a better way to describe it, you're coming out with products that people don't make and people don't like out of the get-go. And it turns out that they, they're great, right? So it, it, by this, I mean like a two-panel saddle. Like, not that it's the first one ever, but like from the second wave of saddle hunting, you guys are kind of the ones to bring the two panel saddle to market. And then you come out with this platform that everybody at ATA was like, that's the dumbest thing. And then they all came over and they looked at it and they're like, okay, I can see it. And then we saw it at the Grand Rapids show where we're talking to guys that are kind of like what you were talking about. Like I brought over a guy and I'm like, this guy needs to try this. And he's like, he's like, no way it's dumb. And then he gets on and he's like, how can I help you sell these? Like, this is, (laughs) this is the shit, right? So you've got this X-Wing deal from the product development side. When you say like, Oh, we don't really, you know, we don't care. We don't want people talking about our product. We just want to kind of just put it out there and like, whatever you're coming out with things that are like, like when John was talking about like, I see a product and I'm like, Oh, it's okay. You know, blah, blah, blah. Like if you go back and watch the video of this, like I'm giving him the fucking side. eye like so hard because of the saddles. He's oh, like, he's I was, like, Oh, it's, it's the dumbest thing ever. So I actually was going to get into that. Like, <laughs> you know, like when, when Adam was in the saddle, the, the, the tethered saddle the first time, I'm like, it, he was swinging around in the chair up here and I'm, in, in this tree. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, dude? I'm like, you're not getting me into that diaper ass thing. Like, what the hell? You know, and, and I was like. I couldn't influence him. And I mean, we do the no, same shit. You know? No, and I was <laughs> like, like, nope, I'm sticking with my stands and sticks, whatever. But I ain't getting into that. And then it, it took. Just say you were wrong. I was. I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> okay, and I'm like, I, I was like, I wish I would have just jumped on the bandwagon back then because. It probably would have saved me a season or two because, you know, it come down to where it was either I had to find some alternative for hunting that was lighter and less cumbersome to get out in the woods or I was done because I, or I was going to ground hunt because my back was so bad that I couldn't even carry my, you know, couldn't carry the shit anymore. So uh, from the product design standpoint, like. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I feel, I mean, I mean, can you talk about like the risk side of it? Like, I mean, there's, I mean, I guess up until your guys' platform, the, the X-Wing and we can go into like, I, I want to hear the process behind that. Cause I saw it in Wisconsin and you showed it to me and I'm like, wow, I'm not a real platform guy. Like I like to, the top stick. Like I don't like having to set up anything additional, um, but it's super comfortable, like very comfortable. Well, even like when I first seen it, I was like, what the hell is that? You know, like, 
Star Wars that. ship. Yeah. But then, you know, like when you start thinking about it and then thinking about the whole design of it, and and I'm a platform guy. The first year I hunted out of it out of a saddle, I was a ring of steps. And it was a it was great for when I'm sitting back and I could have my feet on each side of the tree, you know. But then when I was, you know, I, I like to be able to get up and possibly turn around and have a little bit of a flat surface. So then, you know, right now with my regular platform, my feet start, I get hot spots and everything. And I got to have them in close. And then I put my knees against the tree. And then I started looking at your ears. And I'm like, man, that's like the best of both worlds. Cause I can put my feet out on each side like that and get them spread apart. And then still have enough platform where I can, you know, get up and, and stand up and not, you know, get hot spots. I'm like, okay, he influenced me. <laughs> so, so I want to hear about like the, the process and, and coming up with that, like, and only because there's only so many ways that you can make something to stand on a tree or so I thought until I saw that, like I said. And then to be like, it's so fucking ridiculous compared to like what we know, right? Like we think, oh, you have to, it has to be this way. So between the three of you, like how did that conversation go? Like where did that come from? And, you know. Yeah, I mean. so The wild back. (laughs) I mean, Adam, at the end of the day, we, we pride ourselves on looking at problems in a bit of a different, through a different lens, but that lens is also shared with the customer and it's shared with a lot of different customer types, right? So we do a ton of testing um, throughout the development process. That is really the core of what drives all of our designs. First, we define the problem. And then we test and then we, we iterate over and over again. Um, and it's really important for us, for us when we're developing these products that, you know, they make sense throughout every step in the process. The moment you leave your vehicle until you get back into it throughout that hunt, whenever that product is injected into your process, um, whether it's while you're climbing the tree, when you're up at the top, whatever it is, it needs to make sense and be part of a cohesive process. Um, that's what we're trying to drive throughout our entire product portfolio. Um, when you when you approach the development process in that way, it does help you come up with you know unique ideas and different ways of doing something that has been done for a long, long time. Um, one of the other things that's probably unique to us, and, and then I'll kind of pull back um, so I don't dive too deep into into how do we arrive at our designs. But you know, we kind of test the edges, and what I mean by that is. We test all of our stuff with people that are brand new to using the equipment and also people that are experts and have been doing it for a long time. And those are the two types of people that you learn the most from. Because if it's someone that has never seen the concept of whatever product category it is that you're, you're working on, what's, for example, the platform, if they've never seen it, they need to be able to get it quickly. That's when you know you've got a good design. But at the same point in time, it needs to serve the expert. I mean, the guy that's been, you know, the guys I mentioned in Central Michigan that have been doing this for 18 years, they had the same reaction. What the hell is that thing? And then they got on it and they were so jacked up after 10 minutes about playing with it. I mean, they're still calling us. When do we get our, <laughs> when, when do we get our first production units? Um, because it makes sense. 
18 years of experience, they started moving their feet around on that thing. And it made sense. It made shot angles easier. It was comfortable. Uh, it was locked on the tree. So it made everything more efficient and effective. And um, that's, that's probably one of our, uh, the things I think we do well throughout our development process is looking at the far ends of the spectrum of the people that are going to use something and making sure that it works for both ends. I think too, you know, it, it really goes back to that, what we talked about in the beginning with time in the tree, right? I mean, you know, uh, the season prior to last season, right? We went out, we had an initiative at the beginning of the season. We need a platform, right? So every time we sat in the tree, we thought about a platform. And so you start having these situations, right? Like, um, you know, I talk about the, we talk about those perpendicular edges on that platform. Well, the reason those exist is because I got picked sitting on the side of my platform one time and I was getting pulled into the tree and I, I slipped into the tree. You know, I just got, I kind of jerked, right? Cause I lost my footing and the doe picked me, blew up every, my, my hunt. So it's little things like that. If you're out there just paying attention. Um, and that's why we just, we emphasize. Um, to add to that, I blew it on a Pope and young public land in Michigan two falls ago on a weak side shot. Cause I couldn't get the maneuver done in time. If I had yeah. this new platform, it would have been a piece of cake. So it, yeah, so it's, it's our own experience and as well as others too. So yeah, it's not some like magic formula. It's just put putting in the time. And lucky for us is we're obsessive bow hunters. So putting in the time is very easy as long as you know our wives don't kill us in the process. But we um you know, so it's it's an it's an easy process for you and for us, and we're surrounded by a ton of just um you know equally passionate people and that that makes it easy all we have to do is really listen so and like kind of mix with what both of you guys just said there like kevin mentioning how we we like to test the edges you know maybe in another way as well and to alex's point he was doing something on that platform and had an issue where maybe you're not sitting that way or doing that all the time you know a lot of products might do the same thing very well, but then there's certain aspects where <clears throat> it could be improved without sacrificing it in, you know, I guess the standard way of, of using something. So I think that's where, especially that X wing really, really shines um, is, you know, it, it's a very comfortable platform. It does what a, a platform needs to do. And it also has these additional added benefits to give you options and maneuverability that most other platforms probably won't give you. So. Well, how do you, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like a, a incredibly double-edged sword, but to that point of the, like, everybody's first reaction is what the hell is that thing? Um, the risk involved with coming out with something completely different. That's you. That's a really that's a big question. <laughs> that, that's a great question. I mean, cause there is significant risk and you can't tell, but I'm looking at Kev here because, um, you know, I know that um, I don't think about risk and, and thank God for, Kevin, Jake, because they do think about risk. And it's a very important thing to manage when you're trying to, you know, keep a business afloat. 
So uh, I love the question and I'd love to hear what these guys have to say about it. It's a great question. And there's risk in any product launch. I mean, you can't, you can't get away from it, but you know, the, the more product launches you go through, the more you start to trust your process that led you to that launch. Um, and it becomes a repeatable process for whatever it is, you know, you're trying to solve for. Um, and being two years into this now, I think, you know, we're at a point where we trust the process much better than we did when we first started. I mean, we were nervous as hell when we first <laughs> launched this thing with, you know, a saddle. We had a couple of different versions of the waist belt because we weren't sure what the customer was going to want. Um, you know, so you can, you can certainly mitigate some of the risk with your process um, if you trust it and, and you can, you know, kind of prove to yourself that it works. Um, but there's always going to be a significant amount of risk when you're first getting going. And that's just part of it. Um, but you got to, you got to do the, you know, you got to do the work up front. Um, you can't just guess. So, and we don't guess. Um, so that helps a lot. Yeah. You know, we're also kind of, we like to kind of travel into the unknown and do, do things differently or things that haven't been done before. So, I mean, with that, obviously there's going to be risk because you, you don't know how it's, it might be a complete failure. You know, we've, we've had plenty of ideas that we've, you know, pursued for long periods of time and they just don't pan out. But, you know, like Kevin said, you, you got to kind of trust your process. And if you're not continually trying to go over the edge into that, you know, what's hasn't really been done quite like that before, then you're never going to innovate. So, <clears throat> you know, the, the risks are high, but then the rewards are, are high as well. Oh, certainly. And, and yeah, I mean, to your point, there is inherently risk in, in anything, but like going like, I, I don't know, like uh, completely 180 from what the industry is doing. Um, you know, yes, you can, you can have a process. You can, um, you can do whatever. I mean, I don't know. It, you guys are too young. The only thing I can think of like in my mind is like new Coke or clear Pepsi or something that like, you know, it passed all of these fucking things like the, 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 the Ryan Leafs of the world. Right. Um, you know, like to, to completely go, uh, against, you know, the, the, I guess, normal mindset of like, this is what a platform is. This is how a platform looks. Um, you know, we're seeing that right now with the, uh, I mean, I've, I've heard John Eberhardt talk about, you know, some sort of big ass, um, uh, tubing that he strapped on a tree. Um, and kind of, that's what the pursuit platform is doing. They're trying to injection mold something, um, you know, and that I feel like serves a purpose, hits a price point. Right. But it isn't taking something that exists. It would be like if you made, a a tree stand, like a lock on a tree stand, but you made it in the shape of a star. Cause that's essentially what you guys did. Right. Like, uh, that's what I mean. Like, yes, I'll give that away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there, there's risk in, in, in starting a company, you know, sticking it out there, going out there on your own, starting a podcast, like doing whatever. Um, but to kind of like turn, I don't want to say like turn the industry on its head, but, like for to kind of pave a new road, like 
how does that thought process come in even two years in? Uh, because it'd be real easy if you were, I mean, and it's, it's a bad example now. I don't even know who you'd use as an example, but like if you were lone wolf tree stands, like, so 10, five years ago, we'll say five, 10 years ago, you know, they're the only cast stand. They're like the standard, you know, it would be easy for them to make that jump to something, you know, and there you'd have, you know, now we call them fanboys, but you would have the diehards that are like, whatever they do is going to do. And then you'd, they've got enough people that are respected in the industry and everything that, you know, they may be able to spin it, that it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And it would, but at two years in or, even and, and that's the thing, like going into that process. So you guys can you guys are two years in now. So a year ago at one year in, you're saying, you know what, fuck the regular platform. We're gonna make this ridiculous looking thing and people are gonna like it and we're gonna show them that they like it. Like, where does that come from? Like, how do you make that Was that your mindset or was it just this is what ended up coming out of it? I I mean, our mindset is always the same. It has to work. It, it just has to work. We, we hate sales. We hate marketing. The thing, we, we want the product to do all that for us. You know, like I said earlier, we, we want to spend all of our time thinking about product. And the only way to do that is if the product ends up selling itself because the sales part of it, it it's a lot of work and takes a lot of time. Um, so, I mean, it all go. I think it all goes back to that time in the tree, right? I mean, the X-Wing platform, honestly, like we were in my basement and we were just having a conversation about some things that happened to us, uh, you know, using uh, platforms and ring of steps uh, from that previous season. And it just, it just happened. Right. And, um, and so whenever things like that happen, it's easy for us to kind of take that, that leap. Um, because we know that that conversation with the customer, we always think about that, right? Like what, like, I'm like, what am I going to tell Adam? Adam's the most critical guy I ever talked to on any stuff. What am I going to tell him about this new thing? Am I going to be excited to tell him about it because it, it, it actually works or am I going to be, am I going to feel like I'm trying to sell something, you know? So it was just, it was natural with that platform and we try to do that with everything. So we don't have to do the sales stuff. Right. So I'm only like that because I got to sell it to John. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. I think it's great because I know that I can always just, uh, you know, throw something out to you and you're going to be like, that sucks. So that's, you know, that's kind of cool. You're never going to be like, that's great. So that's why I like you. Yeah. Like, that's why my that's, wife hates it. It's me. all great. It's all great. <laughs> my, my wife is like, if I say like, she'll be like, how's dinner? I'm like, that was pretty good. She's like, I can't ever get like a fucking, that's great. I'm like, no, of course not. Like, no, yeah. then there's no, there's nowhere to go from there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Jake, I saw you grinning down there when I was asking the question. So like, what, what's your thoughts was, on this? I was just grinning. Cause you know, Alex likes to say everything comes together naturally, but there is that secret, you know, methodical process of getting all three of us to agree, agree on one direction and usually like Alex, I think mentioned earlier, it's worked out so far. Uh, you know, that is the magic is figuring out how to allow us to work together without killing each other. But other than that, 
I mean, having different viewpoints and different backgrounds and, and meshing all those together, I mean, that definitely helps drive innovation and, and, you know, looking at problems from a different lens, as I mentioned before. So we didn't try to just kind of come up with something that looks wildly different in the platform space. The X-Wing is what spit out of a lot of work of trying to solve problems. So, and not just our own problems, a lot of people's experiences. Yeah. And like, you know, Kevin and I, we sort of approached things kind of from an engineering perspective. You know, we definitely don't always think the same thing is always the right way to do something. But, you know, as in, from that perspective, you kind of, I've worked with a lot of engineers and <clears throat> your personality is generally going to solve the problem in your mind and, and kind of focus on that light at the end of the tunnel. To completion before you decide whether or not it's you know it actually works alex i would say is really really good at the the rapid prototyping process which we can bounce a lot of ideas off each other you know very quickly and then as you refine that then dial in the details so <clears throat> yeah i mean i it just we got lucky. We got a good, good friends, good relationship, and you know, a lot of good variances in perspective that you know help help the process along. So, going back to something that Kevin said, and I want to get into the sticks, right? You said you look at things from solving a problem first. So, mm-hmm. we can't look at it from a we need to get up the tree problem because there's 150,000 sticks or a piece of rope or something that will get us up the tree. Um, so what is a problem with the current sticks that you sought to solve? Um, well, you know, as you, as you were talking there, Adam, I, I kind of was thinking to myself, I probably said that wrong in that we probably, we actually start by defining the problem first. Um, not solving it. Um, defining it is probably one of the most difficult parts about the whole process, especially, I mean, especially when you're working on a product in a category, category where there's already a lot of things that exist, you know, and uh, the problem could be, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of companies tend to look, start by looking at those other products and the, maybe the problems they perceive in those other products. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, we kind of look at the end to end process throughout your entire time in the woods, throughout the hunting experience. Um, and, you know, the problem might be multi-tiered along that, that process, um, just depending on where that specific product touches the process. Now, sticks, um, you know, how they pack. I mean, your, your sticks are with you the moment you leave the vehicle, right? So they got to pack well. If you're going in far, they got to be lightweight. Those are very, obviously very high level, simple problems. Um, you know, they got to be easy to carry with you up the tree. They got to be quiet. Um, they got to be stable on the tree. They got to be easy to use. They got to feel safe. Um, there's a lot of different kind of, I would say, sub problems that add up to the, the overall problem definition uh, for, you know, building or designing a climbing stick. Um, none of that is probably sounds groundbreaking. I mean, none of it really is. 
Um, it's, you know, the devil's in the details. Uh, when you kind of map out that journey throughout the process. Um, and uh, I, I, I mean, we believe a lot of the existing products do kind of just glaze over or skip some of those steps in the process with how the product is, is used. And really it's not incorporated into that step. We're trying to make sure it's incorporated in every step where it should be. So I wish you guys didn't have a company and we could have this conversation that like wasn't <laughs> on a podcast. So it didn't sound like you are bashing other companies because like, <laughs> as you're talking about all of that stuff, I'm thinking like, rapid fire questions like i could give you every single stick or you could give me every single stick and i could tell you what's the problem with every single stick and going through that um because again like we we talked about prior to this and you know one of the things that we do like for the patreons is we send out all these saddles and all this stuff but like i feel like we've touched every single stick known to man and they all have problems although like the B sticks outside of like a noise factor, like that's what I'm trying to like figure out is like, how do you, how do you improve that? Or how do you, how do you even compete with that? Like, in a like a legitimate, like argument, like the timber ninjas are great and the timber ninja, like, but some people are going to have a problem with, like the polymer and, and that sort of stuff. So like, as you're going through this process and you guys are bucking all the trends, solving the problems of all of the hunters of all the world, um, that don't even exist yet because nobody said I need a fucking star shaped platform, but, <laughs> but they do now. I don't say we're going to be solving all the problems, <laughs> but I mean, there's, if if that was achievable, everybody'd have you know the perfect piece of equipment for every application. But be like I mean, Star Wars and just hit a button. That, that is, <laughs> that's is what, what I'm trying, trying to accomplish. It'd be, it'd be like Amazon. You just click a button and the deer shows up on your front. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty soon, uh, Spartan Forge probably have a thing where it's like you just like shoot a like. Uh, all right. Yep, my bow is targeted. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. Same day drone delivery. Yeah. But, Comes zero mounted for you. But but from that, like I guess um for you guys, like without getting in we'll we'll like reverse engineer this with questions, so maybe we'll leave it up to the listener to decipher. Like, what are the problems what are your main problems with sticks? And I think like I'll start is the reason I like the B sticks so well is because of the way that they stack and they stack straight. Like when I made my own API sticks, I made uh, the poor man's B sticks. I flip flopped them or I had my buddy do it for me, but he flip flopped them so that they didn't stack up and they stacked out. And I want a fixed double step. This whole garbage about distance from the tree I don't see it. I mean, I've tried just about everything. I've put as many sticks as I could side by side with the exception of the Eastern woods outdoors. That additional space to me is unnecessary. It's only a problem because we know about target panics and now we've got target panic. We only know that those ones are bigger. So we, now we need more space. Like it was never a problem, you know, a hundred years ago when we only had the lone wolf sticks those were the only ones. Those were your climbing sticks. That was the standard. No, I, so I love mine 
of the, I can't remember what brand they are. I got them at Menards and they, they stick out like a foot. Those things are great, but they suck to pack in and they're heavy as hell. <laughs> but, but so like for me, like if you gave me sticks that stacked straight out, like if you're, if you make a stick that doesn't stack straight out, like I'm going to find an alternative and that's, or I'm going to say those sticks are great. They serve the purpose. I get up the tree, but this is what I would change. And maybe that's that critical point. But for you guys, like, what is it that in your mind is like a pet peeve about gear that, that exists today? Well, so you're, you're getting at something interesting, Adam. And in, and that is as the problems become better defined in, in a product category, right? Uh, that category becomes more competitive and it becomes a lot harder to innovate within that category. Sticks are one of those categories, right? It's going to be small incremental changes as we move along here. You're not going to come up with some revolutionary uh, stick unless you got something like John said that shoots you up to the tree, right? Um, So, but there are small things, right? Sticks are very loud for a clumsy guy like me trying to climb a tree. I got, if you watch my video on YouTube, you'll see me clanking all around. It doesn't happen quite that bad, but I clank when I'm going, when I'm dealing with my metal stuff. And, and so um, there's little things like that, that I, I think can be significantly improved. The bee sticks, we love the bee sticks, right? They, they, uh, the way they grip the tree and how solid they are climbing up the tree, everything about them is phenomenal. It's hard to improve on those, honestly. Um, but one thing we don't like is that is how they stack. Right. And that's just, I know you like the inline stacking, which is nice, but they still stack, you know, this wide, right. When they're on top of each other, depending on how you carry in your sticks, right. That can be a problem, especially if you got a tree stand, right. Um, what's that, you know, <laughs> I know. I know. That's like a in this in the saddle world, like it's like a tree stand is like a curse word or something, you know. So uh these were designed for tree stand guys too. So um we don't have anything against tree stand people here. <laughs> so um but uh so you know we tried to make them as quiet as possible. We tried to make them stack as compact as possible. Uh, and then we wanted to make sure that they were as solid as possible, like the bee sticks on the tree. Um, I'd say those were the, the three main, you know, when we wrote on the whiteboard, what are we going to do here and how are we going to do it? Those were the three things. So, But that, like, know. for you other guys, like, your pet peeves, like, like, if I gave you a set of just random sticks, like, what's the first thing you're looking at, Kevin? Like if I just went to my garage and I said, I've got six different sets of sticks, which may or may not be true. And I gave them to you and you'd look at them and you'd say, are you a double step guy? Are you a single step guy? Are you movable moving parts? Like what, what is it that like sets something apart for you? Packability and weight are my first, you know, one, a one B. Um, I'm actually not that picky when it comes to first, you know, one you know, single step, that goes back and forth or a double step. Um, I've used both. I like both. I run both. I've got custom versions of both or have had custom versions of both over the years. Um, so it's, those are, you know, far and away the two biggest things for me initially. Um, and then I would say, you know, kind of a more granular pet peeve for me is that uh, yeah, 
carrying the sticks with you up the tree. Um, we're starting to see some sticks on the market that are getting better at that. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I, it, it kind of boggles my mind. You get a stack of sticks and it, to me, it looks like they've been designed to put on the tree and go up and down the tree four times. Um, I'm a, I'm an up once down once guy. Uh, it's gotta be a quiet, uh, secure, safe feeling process. So, so if I gave you a set of Bullman outdoors, strap on sticks that come in a nice little pouch they only weigh three pounds they're polymer they grip the tree pretty well like mm-hmm. that checks all your boxes it's one trip up I, I honestly think strap on steps are a great product um you know really the disadvantage the disadvantage to them is just uh you're having to put a lot of individual steps on the tree to get to uh you know hunting height and i i tend to hunt pretty high so it, um, depending on the situation, it can, you know, have be a time thing for me. Um, the other thing with strap on steps is there, while there's a packability advantage, um, there's not a weight advantage with any of the existing ones on the market. When you start adding up the weight of the straps and the steps, um, they might pack a little smaller than a set of sticks, but sticks have gotten so light now that you're not seeing a weight savings. So you're slower. So really the only advantage is just, they're more packable, um, for what's existing right now. I'm checking your boxes, man. So well, just- <laughs> that's where, so one of my favorite thing, my was the wild edge steps, like, cause the packability of, it, and the ease going up the tree, like you're pulling them out of the pouch, you're putting them on, but you got to get there in time to, you know, it, it does take a little bit longer to put each step on. And then, you know, but what's nice too is like when you're coming back down, I got my pouch and I'm taking one off, put it in. And by the time I get down to the bottom of the tree, I'm not sitting there wrapping all my shit up and putting it together. I just tuck all the, you know, tag ends in, zip it up. Yeah, they are like, they are heavier. I mean, compared to the new sticks. But that was like one of my things is like, the, I got, like when I'm using my tin, Timber Ninjas, you know, they're light and they're great sticks. But I got one hanging here and one hanging here and, you know, like trying to figure out how I'm going to carry them up the tree. And it's like, man, if I fell, of course, I'm not going to fall because I'm all tethered in. But even if I like stumbled and spun around, man, one of them, you know, standoffs go right through your rib cage. <laughs> but. And so for you, Jake, what's your like, I hand you a stick. What are you looking at first? Yeah, I mean, I would say first for me, it's got to be solid on the tree and you know easy fast to put on like i don't want to be messing with the strap tension you know aligning the standoffs and hoping that it doesn't kick out on me so it's got to be solid on the tree um after that i like everything to be as you know, few movements as possible so like the fewer sticks i would need to climb the tree for me would be better <clears throat> So I don't want to put, I don't want to put lots of stuff on the tree. So I've been kind of like racking my brain about, you know, so for anybody that doesn't know, Latitude's coming out with sticks. They don't want to tell you that because they want to make sure that they're going to be there, that you're going to be able to buy them, that they're going to, they're not going to say anything that's not going to happen. But they are also even like telling me like, you know, the, this stuff, you know, they're, they're freaking in production, you know, or, or right there. You know, like we don't want anybody because these things are going to be different and because they've changed everything 
with a platform, with a saddle, you know, they've, so I'm expecting that, but it never until Jake just said that now I'm trying to figure out, okay, now I'm the listener and I'm putting things together. Right. That, so that was entirely intentionally to throw you off. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk. I'm about, not using any climbing steps where I'm putting 20 of them on the tree. Let's, awesome. let's talk about attachment method. Right. So the standard now is a Versa button style, you know, Tether's changing it up a little bit with their, their lock, uh, whatever, the Dyna lock or, or whatever. Um, like so the, is that something that you guys are seeking to innovate? Well, that, that would kind of be more towards, you know, what I was going to say next is quiet, the quiet factor. So you might see some in, improvements around strap methods that, That'll improve the the quietness, no clanking going up and down that tree. Because I don't care every stick I've used. I've used a lot that I like, you know, like very well. And I guess I'm just clumsy at the bottom of the tree in the dark. But I, even if you're doing it in slow motion, I can't ever seem to get stuff to come apart and then go on the tree quiet. So. That was definitely like one like a boat cleat. Yeah. Well, it, it'll be light, quiet, and fast. How the sticks go on a tree. Yeah. That's about as much as we can say. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was I was looking at the body language. I figured it out. Like <laughs> Alex is like, give me a stink eye. Like, listen, dumb fuck, shut I up. Why no. None of you guys were drinking. Like I figured it out. They're like, just don't drink. Don't don't say anything stupid. But just keep it right here. John's over here drunk. And he ain't saying <laughs> shit. Just come to the barbecue on Saturday next weekend, and <laughs> sure we'll tell you all about them. Um, but we think about speed a lot. Jake and Kev just taught, uh, touched on that. Um, you know, we like. I know for me personally, I think like, how can I eliminate steps? Because I've had time and time again, I get to my tree and I'm getting set up, and I get to my last step, and I got a buck coming in, and he busts me, <laughs> and I hunt so right, like. That, that stuff. So speed's important. So that's another thing we um, focused on for the new sticks. So uh, for, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before. Like, so for people that had no idea that you guys are coming out with sticks um, and they may be in the market, like we're talking, you know, and understand. So there's been... Uh, companies that have made promises and, you know, things didn't work out that were beyond their control, but it snowballed out of control. And the understanding that you guys don't want to do that, like time frame, price point, and what can you tell us about the sticks as far as like fixed double step? Can you tell us length, step distance, um, you know, anything like along those lines? Like if you were going to give the like, nondescript description of like the product you guys have coming down the pike. Like what are we looking at? Yeah. I mean the, um, the new sticks are, are fixed double steps. There's, there's no moving parts on them. Um, they will be uh, in that uh, premium stick category uh, across the board, specs, price, all that stuff. Um, they, they're, they're very light, they're very light, they're very quiet, and they're very easy and fast to use going up and down the tree. Um, they're 18 inch, uh, sticks, 17 step to step distance. 
Um, there's, you know, great room, great foot room coming off the tree. Um, they, you know, again, we don't want to make any total promises, but, um, they're going to be very nice. We just got to get them over the finish line. Um, you know, we appreciate anybody who waits to see them. So sorry, we can't give more information. We just don't want to overpromise anything. So I think Jake's probably the shortest one of all of you guys. Kevin's probably the tallest. How did you land on 18 inches, 17 step to step? Cause that's what the trophy lines are. They're fixed. Um, I feel like they're a great value. I hunted with them all last year and that was like the, the one thing that I would change on them. Like I had 24 inch B sticks. I built 24 inch cheap B sticks out of the APIs, uh, too much bulk in negative temperatures. Um, I actually sold those 24 inch sticks last year only to use the trophy lines because I wanted to use the trophy lines with the wingman as a system. And the step distance just wasn't there. I've rebought uh, B-Sticks. Um, so I have B-Sticks now. And I bought the 20-inch ones because 24, like I said, it, I hunted like it was in the negatives and with bulk, the, the cold. Um, trying to make that 24 inches even at, you know, right about six foot for me was a bit much. But like for John, I feel like a 17-inch, 18-inch step. For Kevin, like you know, you're, you're not getting the bang for your buck out of that. So how do you guys come up with that distance? I mean, I understand weight has got to be a factor in there, but. Yeah, I honestly, weight was really not considered for that. I, I personally, I've run some custom sticks the last few years, you know, prior to the development of these and they were 15 inches step to step. Um, even though I'm, I guess I'm the tallest of the bunch, but, um, you know, we're finding that a lot of, a lot of people are preferring stuff on the smaller side now um, because they're getting the additional height by adding aiders. And, and there's obviously a million ways to skin that cat, but um, they're preferring packability over an extra, you know, 18 to 24 inches up the tree at the end of the day, when you add everything up uh, across the sticks. Um, so we, we just kind of leaned in that direction, I would say with the design. Um, we are also testing them to TMA standards. It's very, very important for us with all of our, what we consider a safety related product, something that, you know, is responsible for holding your butt off the ground. Once you leave it, um, everything is third party tested to stringent standards. Um, and, uh, you know, that does help meet that certification standard as well, which was developed through a lot of, you know, testing and data, uh, over the last couple of decades, um, to keep people safe. So, um, that's kind of where our heads were at, I think, across the board with the overall step distance and size Kevin, of the stick. Kev, maybe explain that standard a little bit, because that's something I had no idea about, right? Yeah. So, so ASTM, I think, I don't know if it came from ASTM first or it was first an OSHA standard, but when they were developing the standards ASTM for TMA, they took existing standards for other consumer products in the industry. And one of those standards is maximum step distance of 18 inches step to step and not exceeding that so that the, you know, 95th percentile person can safely get their, you know, feet up from one step to the other. And it's not going to be too, too long of a step. Now, obviously 
if you're comfortable going with 24 inch steps, you know, that might be fine for you, but across all consumers, that's the standard. So it was important for us that we, you know, align with that. At the end of the day, right? Like we're, we're only coming out with one size sticks. So we wanted to make sure that they worked for everybody. And when you look at like, you know, what you're losing by going to a, or, or I guess what you're gaining going to a 24 inch stick, it's, I guess in our opinion, we decided it's, you're not really gaining anything, right? I mean, there's just not a lot to gain there. Um, when the alternative is you're going to exclude so many people, right? Um, so hopefully that kind of explains that that decision. Yeah, that's fine. And, and with the the TMA SDM standard, um, it makes a lot of sense when I think about it as like um, a Werner ladder or something like that. So like that, that's, you know, when it's coming from OSHA or whatever. Um but on that same point, like Kevin, you said, like when you define a problem, how you uh, approach it from the mm-hmm. the fringes, right? So I would say mm-hmm. for the new uh, saddle hunter, new hunter, first guy buying sticks, I would have to say that there's a bit of like naivete there and they're hearing, you know, we oddly enough, we're in this echo chamber of everybody's talking about the same stuff. Where that really doesn't matter to, you know, that, that what you talked about, like the 95th percentile, you know, we're, we're always just talking. So those people are going to be saying, well, how light is it? How far is it away from the tree? All of these things that, you know, maybe the guy on the other side of the fringe doesn't, that's not what's important to him. So, um, in that, that these have been so close to the vest, have you dealt with the guys that are on that expert level? um in in testing with those sticks and and everything we have you know this project's been a little bit unique in that we've had a a smaller what i'll call a testing pool um that you know a little bit smaller testing pool than normal for us uh typically we're we're getting stuff in the hands of a lot of people um with how competitive the stick market is um we just, you know, unfortunately had to cut that back a little bit um, to ensure that, you know, the direction we were headed with these, um, none of that information uh, leaked out. So it's just kind of a nature of the beast situation. Um, they have been vetted um, by, you know, some good hunters for sure. Um, as well as Jake's some not that good. people that are going to be, well, Jake kind of sits in the middle <laughs> and he'll, he'll admit that, you know, but <laughs> no, no, but um, no, they, we, we went through the same process. Um, we just, you know, had a circle of trust was a little bit smaller for this one. Okay. And Jake, Not I- only that. Oh, sorry, Adam. I was just going to say like, we, you know, there's other ways to get the information, right? Like we didn't have to exactly hand the, the end product to people, you know, to get the information we needed to kind of combine that together. Right. I mean, we can ask you, how do you like a bee stick? And we can ask, Jake, you know, how, how does he like a, a lone wolf double step? And then, you know, you can kind of put that all together. We, we went through the same process. It's just, we didn't hand the, the finished product over. So. Yeah. A lot of our process is just interviews and conversations. So you can glean a lot of good information. I mean, you know, a lot of that too, is just translating the, the feedback you're getting from people, you know, the, the whole distance from the tree thing, you know, what I hear when I see that is, you know, I prioritize safety and stability going up and down the tree and, or I'm kind of new to being a mobile hunter. Um, 
So that's another another thing to think about. And Jake, I was just busting your balls just for fun. Um, there, I, I have no. Uh, I'm not offended. <laughs> but what I <laughs> this is coming from the world's worst bow hunter. Yeah, here. I mean, the world's worst <laughs> bow hunter is like saying, yeah. Um, but one of the things that, uh, the last podcast that we did, Jake, um, after we got done with it, like we were like, oh man, we should have brought that up. Um, talking about the safety and the ASTM and, and all of that, like you guys developed your own rope and Jake was kind of like on the head of that. So, um, I mean, I was just fielding questions today about eight millimeter versus 11 millimeter Kong versus, um, you know, Ropeman one, you know, can you even use it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I know we talked a lot, uh, after a lot of whiskeys and all sorts of things at ATA about, um, the size of your rope, why you went with what you did. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like the ropes that you guys have for, for this coming year? Yeah. So we spent close to a year developing that, just that rope, you know, most people would be surprised at really how much engineering goes into a rope. We were, we actually learned a, a lot ourselves during that process, but yeah, obviously like eight millimeter, that's about the minimum size you can go to for life safety um, with today's modern materials for fibers out there. I mean, any lower than that. And we wanted to stay with like a, a minimum 5,400 pound breaking strength, which is, I believe, a standard in, or it is a standard in, in the arborist industry for a load bearing rope or a rescue rope um, <clears throat> used in other applications like military, fire department, that kind of thing. So, you know, we knew we wanted to go with that diameter, that going with that small diameter is obviously going to be the most compact for the, the length of rope that you're going to need. So that was kind of a no brainer. After that, um, determining the materials used in the core, the, the weave, the, the tension of the weave, making sure it maximizes strength, but also stays supple. Um, <clears throat> making sure that the sheath of that rope is very durable, as thick as possible without compromising the diameter of the core. And for the application of saddle hunting being, you know, so that that sheath holds up to all the abrasion. But you're really not using, for at least tethers and lineman belts, you're not using any mechanical devices that are going to put a lot of friction on that. Um, like you might need for some applications that like an Oplux rope or something like that would be used in with mechanical you know, motorized winches and, and things like that and long, long repels. So <clears throat> what we ended up with at the end of the day, you know, we believe was the, the first, you know, genuine rope that was designed from the ground up for uh, the saddle hunting application as a tree tether and a lineman rope um, that I, that we're aware of um, on the market. So, you know, I, we're really happy with it. Our customers thus far have been extremely happy with it. I think they, they turned out, they look great. So overall, um, I think, I th 
very, very pleased with the way that product turned out. And one of the things that I heard you say, I don't know if you were telling us or telling someone else, was the diameter of rope that you ended up going with is a little bit larger than the standard eight millimeter. Um, and that was by design. So can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I felt like that was an important. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just an aspect designed in for safety. So that the, the ropes during testing, we wanted it to be slightly over eight millimeter because under certain high tensions, that kind of thing, you know, we, we don't want to risk, uh, <clears throat> going below that because we know people put different devices and things on the rope, like, you know, the rope man versus the calm. And we really need to make sure it worked properly with all those. And, and we don't ourselves control the design of those devices. Um, and I know that some, in some cases, like just for example, the other day, I know a lot of people use the Mad Rock safeguard with an Opwux rope that Mad Rock's really not rated for a rope that small diameter. And if you've ever tried repelling with it, you'll, you'll notice it's, it's a little bit jumpy, which would be <clears throat> maybe in some very experienced hands perfectly fine, but I'm not a very experienced repeller. And I know it's, you know, when you go to release that lever, it, it's not very far from biting a hundred percent to a free fall. So we wanted to make sure that we don't have any unintended cases like that with any of the devices that people are going to be wanting to use with our, our tethers and line and ropes. In, in Diameter Adam is a funny thing in the rope industry. Everyone tests yeah. it differently, whether it's under load yeah. or, you know, just at rest. So how it's defined is, you know, the devil's in the details with that one, but ours is designed to, to be safe while it's being used when it comes to diameter. Right. And, and like I said, that, that was something that I never would have, and, and especially like when you talk about like the fringes, right? So you've got a new mm -hmm. guy that says, well, the saddle company is selling it and they're also selling this product that's not rated for it. But we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and use it, and I see it in all these TikToks and YouTube and all this these things. And then you've got the old guy that says, "I've been using this shit for a hundred years, and it works just fine." But under load or under certain conditions or all of these things, whatever, it's not actually rated for it. Like that's the last thing that you that you want on your hands. It, coming up with a rope all on your own instead of just buying a product that exists in fancy colors, um, you know, is I think that really speaks to like where your guys' head is at when you're coming at it. And for something as, I don't know, like unsexy as rope, right? Like the, the question that, that comes up with like all that stuff is, $80 for a rope or $70 or, or whatever. And it's like, ultimately that's the only thing or the main thing that's saving your life like that in the bridge. So yeah, that's what's holding you to the tree. So <laughs> you can have the best saddle in the world, but if you want to hang from paracord, then, you know, that doesn't matter what you spend on the rest of it. So, so Oplux, that's eight millimeter. Well, so I mean, 
That's your so, guy. So Jake, so uh, Oplux with eight millimeter and then a Ropeman one. Technically, that's not like rated correctly, right? Yeah the the Ropeman one I believe goes down to. <coughs> Is it nine millimeter? I, Just, I believe so. Yeah. The, the, the reason why I ask is because, well, I think it was after a, one of our little saddle things. I had put my, I use a Ropeman just on my lineman's belt. And so, and I have op, that was when I was running the op looks. Well, it was fine for that because you know, I'm not, I'm never really putting full weight tension on it. Well, I'd put, like when we got done, I packed it up in the wrong pouch and then I went hunting and I got out there and I was like running late as usual. And I get up the tree and I'm like, Oh man, I must've left my tether over at Frank's. So as a, I mean, I don't condone this, you know, action, but I unhooked from the tree and I took my lineman and I put that as my tether and all I had was the ropeman on it. And so then I sit down and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, 240 pounds with you know without my gear on and then i sit down in that and it settled in and when i went to like release it it was like pinched up in it like it didn't it didn't seem right like i was like i think this was a little bit uh wrong but it's really not worth it to use things out of spec we're just hunting Right, we're not, that, you know, we're not trying to save lives or anything like that. So, but that was my experience with that. I was just, you know, like that didn't seem right. Yep. Yeah, and then that's kind of. I don't, I'm not trying to knock the rope man one. I just since we sell and have sold many eight millimeter ropes, you know, that kind of makes us a little bit wary. The way that's designed is very compact, which is nice. But it also, the way it's designed, there's some, so that could have been the diameter of your rope. It can also be the diameter of your carabiner because the carabiner is acting to wedge the rope with the cleat right. in, in that application. So with the Rope Man products, you know, you really need to make sure that your, your gear, all the gear you're using in combination, rope, carabiner, and the Rope Man itself is all working as it should, you know, at ground level, you tested it, tried recovering from a, I don't want to say a fall because you're going to be on tension, but, you know, you lose your footing. Can you easily recover? Does it hold your weight? Is it slipping? That kind of thing. So, you know, that goes for, for all your gear across the board. Right. And that, like I said, it was in the heat of the Ropes. moment, whatever, but for the new guys that are coming in they're like, oh, I'm just going to order this and this and this, and then I'm, I'm good to go. Like I got all the, you know, the best shit, but in the yeah, end, you really got to be careful. Right. Yeah. So, well, and that's the thing is like, you know, you don't know for, what you don't know. I mean, well, but you saw it on, I mean, everybody that has researched saddle hunting or, or whatever has seen the guys that have like Cobra weaved a, saddle out of paracord and they're like it cost me $19 like it does work like it will put a sling under your ass and there's the guys that use the rock climbing harnesses and the you know the fleece blankets and all of the things 
yeah, but there's a bunch of, I mean, so John's got his tree stand down here. That's two pieces of pallet wood that he's joking around about. And we've all seen those uh, tree stands up in the tree that are just random shit where you're like, how would anybody ever do that? Um, but in this day and age with the information being out there, you know, it doesn't cost that much more, or you could actually do it a lot cheaper just using a, a friction hitch, whether it's the swave hitch or Prusik or whatever, and a, a carabiner that's rated for a fall. You know, I mean, if you've ever bought a tree stand, you got like a one pound carabiner that locks. <laughs> like that's much safer than a lot of the, the things that, you know, we're trying to piece together and save a buck and save an ounce off of Amazon or, or, or whatever from these Chinese companies that are like, well, yeah, it's rated to this. Like, well, if it's not, we'll just send it back to Amazon prime unless you're dead or, you know, in a wheelchair or, or whatever. So it, it, that's why I wanted to have that conversation, Jake, because you know, you, went through a lot of stuff to create a rope that was designed to work as best as it possibly can with as many products as it possibly can to be as safe as it possibly can and not say, well, this one's cheaper. It, it maybe isn't cheaper or it's on par with the rest of them, but you did your due diligence to make it better or offer a product that, you know, you guys, put your name behind that's superior to what was available. Otherwise you would have just bought a product that existed. Right. So I, th I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. We, I mean, when it comes to this, to safety of the products, you know, in all of our products, there can't be any, any shortcuts, like you say, and you really have to, when you're selling to the masses, you know, you really have to consider every possible scenario and how something's going to be used. You know, there's the way you should use it, but then there's the way you could use it. So, I mean, you, we, we got to look at all that. So, well, and it's funny because we had that conversation talking about climbing tree stands and how we left a bunch of the safety gear at home because it was too cumbersome or too loud or, or whatever. And, you know, that's, not all that uncommon. So, um, it, it is, it is what it is from that aspect, but you know, we, we've been doing this for like quite some time now, guys, I want to kind of wrap this up. You're not going to tell us any more about the sticks. I get it. Um, <laughs> I was hoping that Alex would have one just propped up in the back there and you wouldn't mention it, you know, but it would just be there for, for us to see Jake's looking around. He's got one. I know he does. Um, but so, so we'll go Kevin, Alex, Jake, um, we'll skip the bow question. We'll hit them up at, uh, the total archery challenge. What's your biggest change, uh, Kevin, Alex, Jake, you're going to make for this season as far as like your approach for deer hunting. Kevin, Alex, Jake. Yep. Okay. For me, it's, it's, um, I would say spending, um, expanding the number of areas I'm monitoring and probably spending less time in each one, um, in Michigan specifically. And then, um, I didn't get a chance to travel last fall. So I'm going to try to do a bit 
more traveling. Uh, I'd like to get to at least two other states. I don't have that figured out yet. Um, and I don't even know where I'm going to go. Uh, so we'll find out this summer. But for me, it's kind of getting into more new areas in Michigan um, and then doing some more traveling. Alex? Uh for me, I'm kind of going to do the opposite, actually. I'm going to, um, I, I love like exploring. That's one of my favorite things about hunting, but it, you know, last year it was, it was obvious that it hurt me a little bit. And, uh, so this year I'm actually, uh, I hate to say this, but I'm going to try my best to hunt less and, and focus on some areas, um, and, and see what happens. I think, um, in some of the areas I hunt, I've got it down to a, a certain time frame, actually, it's just, it's, it's just, I'm seeing a pattern a little bit more and I'm going to see what happens if I just focus on that and, and, um, spend a little less time spreading my, my presence all around. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I know. I think we're all kind of saying this from perspective of hunting Michigan. I, yeah. Yeah. Reminds going as well. You know, I, I know Alex kind of has, he's, he's been dialing in on some particular property for quite a few years now. And so I can kind of see where his head's at with that. But last year I started sort of venturing out of, I guess, my familiar areas. And I had a lot of new encounters and, you know, with new setups and covered a lot more ground and, you know, started to piece some, I guess, commonalities between those different experiences. Like, I just feel like more like Kevin said, I'm going to be venturing out more and trying to come up with a refined, more refined strategy for having more success in different areas with kind of a more formulated approach, I guess you could say. And, you know, I, like I said, started doing that a little bit more last year. And for me personally, I kind of, I, I got a lot out of that. You know, I traditionally going back years, I, when we first started out, I was the guy who I would just sit the same freaking spot, like for days and just, you got to be in the woods to kill the deer type mentality. And that's, uh, you know, definitely changed for me like 180 degrees, you know, over time. And I think I'm going to keep doing that. So Northern Michigan, micro hill country. That's the next big thing. Yeah. yeah. We're going to figure that out. Give that a try this fall. (laughs) All right, guys. So, um, where can, if people want more information about like, when are your platforms going to be available? Um, sticks, uh, where can they follow along? You guys did a great job with your, um, you know, email list and uh, allowing those people to pre-order your, uh, platforms and all of that. Like, is that going to be available for the, the guys with the sticks? Um, you know, where can people follow along with that? If they want more information, like to be, you know, on the first wave of, of what's coming. Yeah, I mean, so um, 
the situation with the email list is we're, we're kind of using that to uh, allow people to have a chance at, at getting them. Not that they won't be able to write, but um, we know that people are anxious about getting the stuff before the season and supply chain. Who knows what happens, right? These days, especially. So the email list is definitely the way to go if, if you're anxious about that. The sticks will be launched in the same way. The platforms are still uh, exclusive to the email list just because we don't want them to totally explode and just backed up. So um, you can still join the email list. There's just a simple form on the website. Um, we won't, we promise we won't spam you or anything, but um, that will give you all the access links to any new stuff. And we're probably going to keep doing that um, just because it, it helps us control supply chain a little bit better. So, okay. And then for the sticks, uh, s- same, same thing for the sticks. So what we did is um, we aren't going to do a pre-order for the sticks, but um, there is an option on the website right now where you can actually, it's just set up as a gift card. So you can use it on anything on the site um, or you can apply it to the sticks when they come out. Uh, but that they will have anybody who purchases that we've sold uh, several of them at this point will get the first crack at the sticks and they'll ship immediately when they're when they're launched. Um, and then they'll go to the general email list and then to the public. Um, so we'll kind of leak them out that way. So awesome. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys like taking the time, all getting together, being able to talk to you all at once. Um, you know, I wish we could have got some more information from it, but you know. You guys are doing a great job. The what do they say? The consummate professionals. Like, great job. Thank you guys for the time tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you guys. We wish we could share more. Trust us. Sorry, we're just uh, we're just cautious. So, anyway, thanks, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. thanks a lot. Right. Yeah.